All right. Good evening. Good evening. And everyone mute here. Good evening, everyone. My name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors of New Philly. And I'm here today because I am married to the director of Emmaus Campus Ministry, Pastor Aaron. And she allows me to come and preach here at Yonsei. And so I am so privileged to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Actually, uh, way back in 2008, uh, I used to lead worship right here, right here at the front uh, with the student band. And I was, sometimes I would have to lead worship and then right after preach. And I did that every week for like uh, for a good, uh, probably like a year and a half. And before that, I was also doing some campus ministry right here at Yonsei from 2005. And it's a joy to be back. I haven't been back here at Yonsei for like maybe, um, I haven't spoken here at Emmaus for about three years. And so, you know, I've been busy. I'm busy for three years. Y'all call me at a good time. And uh, it is my joy to come back and speak to you all tonight. And I just want to begin by saying how uh, proud I am of the Yonsei Emmaus staff and the student leaders. I'm really proud of you guys. Uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Uh, although not everyone may see the prayers and labor that you sow into this ministry, God sees it all. And he is surely going to reward your faithfulness. And I believe he's going to continue to pour out his spirit and pour out his blessing to bring revival onto this campus. Amen? And uh, back in 2008, when I was still... Uh, in charge of this ministry as a director, uh, this room will be filled on a good week, about 25 students. We did all right back then, 18 to 25 students. And back in 2008, I was standing on certain prophetic words and visions. And I used to come into this room when it would just be completely empty during the afternoon. And I'll just, I'll just envision this room filled with students. And I'll just, I'll just prophesy that the Lord would just fill this room with students that are hungry for Jesus. And back then, it felt like a pipe dream because, you know, there were only about 18, 20 students showing up. It seemed like it'll take forever to, for this whole room to be filled. Um, but it may have staff and student leaders. It is your prayers and labor that have played a crucial role in bringing this vision to pass. And so it's, it's my joy to come here tonight and see this room, you know, pretty packed in here. And uh, also understanding that tonight we also have a large group worship services happening at SNU uh, where Pastor Marcus is preaching tonight. And then at KU where Pastor Myung-Hwa is preaching tonight. And as Emmaus has expanded to SNU and at KU, I want you all to understand, whether you're a newcomer or you've been with us for a while, that you are part of something much greater than just a local campus ministry here in Korea. As you faithfully steward this ministry and make it even better, I believe the Lord is going to open up doors for Emmaus to go to college campuses in Asia. Australia, perhaps even America, 
discipling key future leaders with a brand of Christianity that is spirit-filled, that is hungry, Student leader, uh, future leaders that are raised up with character, knowing the Word of God as well as knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. We are doing this for the long haul. This campus ministry is more than what you see here today. And just as I had to envision this room filled, it's now your turn to envision the universities of the world being filled with spirit-filled disciples from this Emmaus campus ministry. Amen? Y'all believe that? I believe it. And whether you want in or not, we're going to go forward with it. There's a lot, of, a lot of lives being powerfully touched. In fact, a lot of our church staff and some of our full-time uh, staff with our church and pastors, many of them were the fruit of Yonsei Campus Ministry way back when I was still serving. So many of those students, they graduated and they decided, you know what, God's calling me to back to Korea. And they moved back to Korea, and then God opened up the doors for some of them to serve in full-time ministry. And that's what they're doing. I remember when I first met Rona. Couldn't tell if she was white or if she was Korean. Found out later she's half, right? Half-half. Not just half, but half-half. And I remember meeting her, and she ain't know nothing about Christianity. I don't know if you guys know Rona. She is the uh, campus director at SNU. She's the one that laughs real loud. If you ever listen to a, a New Philly sermon on our website, she's the one that's like, <laughs> like, like she, she sounds like she's gasping for air. And yeah, um, she's the light. I remember meeting her way back in 2008, and she, she didn't really have an encounter with Jesus yet. She knew about Christianity, but she didn't really have an encounter with the living Christ. And as we started to disciple her, like, it's just beautiful. The, the woman that she has just kind of matured into. And then God called her back to Korea. And now she's doing this full-time ministry thing. And we're just so proud of her. You know, Pastor Marcus, Myung-hwa, they were all fruit of our college ministry here. So we're going to keep doing this thing. Because this thing is very fruitful. <laughs> you know, as the, as the pastor of New Philly, you know, we had a lot of uh, college students uh, a couple of weeks ago join us for a membership class. And, you know, as a pastor, you know, you always delight to see a lot of people taking membership class because, you know, you want to see a lot of these people who are attending. You want them to join the family and be in covenant relationships. You want them committed members of the church. And also, when uh, committed members who have full-time paying jobs join, you know, they also tithe. So that's, that's a good thing for a church, right? But, you know, we had like we had like over 60 people take the membership class a couple weeks ago. And we're like, yeah, 60 people, yeah, 60 people. And then we realized, like, more than half of them were college students. We're like, all right, I guess there will be no tithing coming in from these students. You know, maybe, maybe a few dollars or, you know, depending on their allowance or whatnot. But, uh, you know, I take that back. You know, this ministry is so fruitful. In the long run, our, our, our college ministry has been so fruitful. It's provided our key leaders that we have today to do our church plants, and to do our other ministries. And so I'm really proud of uh, all the staff and student leaders here. 
and really a joy to join you here tonight. Uh, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to look at this passage together tonight. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament right after the book of Romans. I'm going to read at the NIV. I have a small pocket NIV I like to carry around. And I think the NIV kind of renders this a little better. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 18. And uh, go to 20. I'm going to go to 18 to 25. I'm going to read in the NIV. Follow along with me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased God was pleased. He got a kick out of. He got pleasure out of. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, And the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Amen. You know, I don't know where you guys are at in your spiritual walk. But tonight, I want to bring you a message that really communicates to you. What is involved? What is really involved in following Jesus? See, I'm not one to sugarcoat my messages. I like to be real. That's the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. Now, I grew up in in the city of Philadelphia, in a predominantly black neighborhood. A black neighborhood that was not very open or embracing of Asians. In particular, there was like a small community of Korean, uh, Koreans that had moved in, immigrated. But because my family was too poor, we moved into that neighborhood. And we were met with a lot of racism. People just said all kinds of things to our face. And I was only about six years old. I don't know what these things meant. You know, they would say, chinky, chink, chink. Get out of here, chink. What you doing in our, in our country? Go back to China. And, I, and in the beginning, I would literally think there was a miscommunication. <laughs> misunderstanding. No, no, I'm not from China. <laughs> from Korea. But I'm, I, after, after I, I clearly communicated that, I realized they didn't care where I was from. They, just, they were just hostile toward me. And uh, because of that kind of childhood... You know, I I tend not to sugarcoat things. I try to keep it real, and I try to keep it as it is. Now, sometimes that gets me in trouble. 
But tonight, as I talk about what it means to follow Jesus, I want to be real with you about what is involved. What does that look like? Because different preachers will come and they will paint a picture of Christianity. They will paint a picture of discipleship. They will paint a picture of the Christian life. But it's just a portion of the whole picture. I want y'all to get the whole thing. And I want you to get the portion tonight that's not so popular to preach. Because if you get this, and you get this down into your heart, you're going to be unstoppable. You're going to be unstoppable for the kingdom of God. When Jesus was born, Jesus was born into a lot of controversy. If you guys know the story of Jesus, where was Jesus born? Anybody know? He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, for one thing, was a, a, a town that people didn't really care about. It was looked down on. I don't know, think, of a, think of a town in America that you just kind of look down on. I don't know if you can think of one like that, maybe like Trenton, New Jersey or something. I don't know. <laughs> but Nazareth was one of those towns that nobody cared about. And Bethlehem was actually prophesied about in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come. A, a child would be born in Bethlehem. But people didn't know the whole story of how Jesus was born, right? But the whole story was that there was a census taken. So the Joseph had to kind of uh, travel back to his uh, hometown, which was Bethlehem. And while he was there, his wife, who was pregnant with a child that was not his, she had to give birth. And so they looked at the uh, different hotels there, Motel 6, Hilton. Oh, they all had no vacancy, all right? So they had to give birth in a dingy, nasty little barn. And when Jesus is born, you have to understand that the virgin birth was, there was no precedence for this thing in the Jewish culture. You know, if you, if you are a virgin, if you say, I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin, people laughed at your face. People said, sure you are. No one's going to believe you, right? And so when Joseph heard that his fiance was pregnant, him being a righteous man, the Bible said, he tried to divorce her quietly. He tried to just take care of that without uh, subjecting her to too much shame. But then the angels of the Lord intervened and told Joseph, don't be afraid. You got to marry this woman. Because a child that's in this woman's womb is, has, has been come forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then all the angel says all these messianic things about the child. But you have to understand when Jesus was born, he was born into controversy. And then when Jesus grew up and he started his public ministry, his whole ministry was surrounded with controversy. You see, Jesus, when he started his ministry, he didn't have the credentials to do his ministry. His best reputation was the son of a carpenter. He was not the son of a scholar. He didn't have a, a master's of divinity degree. He was not known to have a, 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 even an undergraduate college degree equivalent of back then. 
He didn't have the credentials to start a public ministry. And so when he started to teach, the Bible says that people took offense at his ministry. Especially in his hometown. People were like, who? What the? We know this kid. This guy, David Ahn. We saw him growing up every day, every single day. He used to, he used to be little Joshua, you know, he used to, he used to put shaving cream on people's faces at retreats and he used to steal all the butter from the kitchen, like, you know, TP'd, you know, the front yard of the, of the children's ministry choir director. I don't know, like, we know who he is. This guy, what's he, what's he, what do you think he is? Now teaching all with all this authority. The Bible says Jesus didn't do much miracles in his hometown. Because he didn't have the credentials. He didn't have the credentials. Now, it's one thing not to have credentials and he's teaching with authority. But it was another thing to move in supernatural power. It's another thing that brought a lot of controversy. Now, it brought a lot of controversy with the educated scholars and religious leaders of the day. But the blue-collar common folk, they loved it. Why? Because they couldn't afford to go to the doctors and stuff. They couldn't afford to, to buy all the best medicine. So they would just come to Jesus and they get healed. And so they just felt the love of God through that healing, that supernatural healing. They would bring their children who were demon-possessed, and Jesus would just heal them by the power of the Holy Spirit. All the blue-collar poor folks, they love Jesus. They follow Jesus. But the religious folks, they accuse Jesus. Of doing these supernatural miracles and healings. Which, by the way, are in the Old Testament. Elijah did miracles. Elisha did miracles. Moses did miracles. Supernatural things are a natural aspect of God. Why? Because God's God. God can set the parameters for what is natural. This is natural. But then God can say, but I'm God. I don't have to be limited by my own parameters. That's why the virgin birth in itself is a supernatural event. You know, everything, if you really think about Jesus' birth, ministry, and death, everything was supernatural. That's because God is supernatural. But the religious leaders of that day, they took offense. And they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of demons. In other words, they said Jesus is full of the devil. You see how you see how he cast that devil out? You saw that? You saw that? That's because he followed the devil himself. Jesus was surrounded by controversy. On top of this, he was also known to associate with people that the religious leaders avoided. For example, Tax collectors. These were the thieves, the outcasts of society, the traitors. These are people that were stealing from their own people. Jews that were stealing from their own people, working for the Roman government. But Jesus would go to their homes. Jesus would invite them to follow him. Jesus was known to associate with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. So Jesus got a, quite a reputation. He was accused of being a drunkard. You know what I mean? When's the last time you heard a, a 
a powerful, influential pastor have a reputation of being a drunkard? Right? That doesn't look good for his ministry. Right? But Jesus had that kind of reputation because he was unafraid to do the substance of ministry, even if there was a cost of having all these accusations come his way. Jesus was surrounded with controversy. Everything about him was offensive. Even the way that he was trying to reveal to the people that he was the son of God was offensive. He says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, why, why is he saying, your son, your son, your sins are forgiven? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, what's easier to say? Take up your mat and walk? Or your sins are forgiven? But I said on purpose, your sins are forgiven, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. What did Jesus say? He said, I did that on purpose. I could have said, just be healed, get up. But Jesus said, well, no. What's easier to say? I said, your sins are forgiven. So all y'all punks will know who I really am. <laughs> like, he's an offensive guy, if you think about it. Right? Jesus didn't take marketing one-on-one. Like, he didn't have the best public relations secretary helping him. He just went out. He was offensive. He was surrounded with controversy, and he was familiar with it because he was born into controversy. There was a stigma with Jesus, and what I'm trying to tell y'all today is, there's a stigma with following Jesus still today. There was a stigma then, and there's a stigma now. And you got to be willing to bear this stigma and not be offended by his ways if you're going to really follow Jesus and do the Father's will. You got to understand that there is a stigma following Jesus there is a stigma to following Jesus amen that's not something many people want to say amen to is it there's a stigma to following Jesus Um, you know at New Philly you will notice that um Sometimes at a New Philly service, there will be um, some supernatural things that will happen, right? And I want to talk about the two aspects of, uh, of following Jesus, the stigma of following Jesus. I'm going to ask, talk about two, two aspects tonight. One is the stigma of the anointing, the anointing. See, anytime you want to carry the anointing and flow in the anointing, you have to understand that with that power, you're also going to have to deal with the stigma. Now, if Jesus dealt with the stigma, who do you think you are to be exempt from it? Jesus had the anointing on him. Right? The, the moment the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on him, as he, as he came up out of the Jordan River when, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness, came out of the wilderness, and started doing ministry all over Galilee. The Bible says he goes into a temple, reads Isaiah 61, and, and says... And Isaiah 61 is all about the anointing, right? And Jesus says, this passage on the anointing has been fulfilled today in your midst. And people are like, wait a minute. There was like this moment of silence. Different gospel accounts, you know, they describe it differently. But essentially after the moment of silence, you know what happened? 
people started mobbing him, trying to kill him right there and then. That's, that's, that's stigma. That's offense right away. That's because when the anointing comes on you, the stigma comes along with it too. But a lot of Christians, they don't recognize this. So what happens is they open their hearts to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But as they begin to walk in this anointing, the stigma comes, they get offended, and they push it away. They get offended, and they stop following. They stop walking in the anointing. But you have to understand, that's why I'm preaching to you up front. That if you really want to live out this spirit-filled Christianity, not just the legalistic, rules-keeping, you know, goody two-shoe, you know, like appearing as a good Christian and, and walking holy and all this stuff. Like, if you want more than that, but you want, like, power. You want what you see in the book of Acts and the New Testament. You want to see that kind of boom, like Christianity that sets the captive free. Even physical healing. You see miracles and healings breaking out. You need the anointing to do that. You can't muster that up in the natural. You can't, pre- you can't teach your way to a miracle. The Holy Spirit's got to do it. But the Holy Spirit, you see, he's not just some electrical power of God. The force of God. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Bible says the Holy Spirit searches the hearts of men. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says. Only a person can be grieved. A person has emotions and feelings. Power and force, like electricity and gravity, does not. And what the Jehovah's Witnesses, man, one time at UC Irvine, I met this one homie. I started preaching to him about the gospel. And the guy was like, wait, wait, can you follow me? Can you follow me? I was like, I'll follow you. And he, and he took me to this table, and there was these two old white women sitting at this table, right? And then they go to the gentleman, they go, hi, brother, how are you today? And he goes, hi, sisters. Uh, I met this guy here on campus, and uh, he started preaching to me about the Bible. And uh, I had some questions. Could you, um, uh, could, you, could you tell her some of the things you told me? And I, and, I, and I looked at them, and I started dialogue, and then I realized that you're a Jehovah Witnesses. And so they had their little copy of the world, uh, world, uh, whatever translation they have, world, uh, W-E-B or something like that. Anyway, it was a translation I'd never seen. (laughs) And so we started talking about Holy Spirit. I said, Holy Spirit is a person. The Trinity is in the Bible. It may not be explicitly stated, but our church fathers fought and died for this doctrine because it's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit doesn't just show up in the Old New Testament either. He's there in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is a person. And they go, well, 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 according to the Bible we have here, you know, the Holy Spirit is just a power. He's, it's just a power. It's just a force. And so, anyway, make a long story short. I shouldn't get into this. It's a big detour, funny trail. Let me, let me, let me stay away from it. But I pretty much told them, y'all going to hell. <laughs> I was a bold young man. I was 20, 24 years old. And I was—I may never see them again. I got to do them a favor. I got to—I got to slap them with the truth, you know. And you know they were offending me by 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 that time. They were like insulting me and belittling me. Like they were trying to use all the because they were afraid this young man was gonna, you know, start going toward Christianity. So they were—they were like insulting me. I was like, "Well, you going to hell? You guys believe what you believe. You guys going to hell? I don't want you to go to hell, but you're already headed there right now." 
And young man, you want to follow them, you can go to hell. But I'm telling you right now, you want the truth. You got to understand that the scriptures say that Jesus is the son of God. His divinity. There's divinity about him. Because he is God in the flesh. God incarnate. And what you have to understand is the Holy Spirit who brings the anointing on your life. He is the same. He is a person. And he checks your attitude and he sees your heart at all times. Now, when the anointing comes on your life, there's going to be stigma that comes along with it. So, for example... When I first started to um, do ministry, and I'd been doing ministry with Campus Crusade. I was on full-time staff with Campus Crusade for Christ back in New York at Columbia University. And I saw a lot of great fruit, but I wasn't moving in the gifts of the Spirit. I wasn't moving in the, like, the supernatural anointing power of the Holy Spirit yet. So when I moved to Korea in 2005 and I started to move in the anointing, immediately... The stigma came. So, for example, good friends of mine who were also in the ministry will say things like, oh, Christians, he's gone off the deep end. He's uh, abandoned the word of God. Oh, he's become one of those charismaniacs. And people started to accuse me of all kinds of interesting things that weren't even true. And that they hadn't even bothered to investigate. I started doing what's called the healing and deliverance ministry. Not by choice. Just by obedience. You know what happened? Thanksgiving weekend, 2006. Thanksgiving weekend, 2006. On a Saturday night, there was a young, uh, young sister at our church. And she started to demonically manifest. And the sisters of our church tried to help her. But they didn't know what they were doing. So they would just like pray in tongues. Like, they would pray in tongues for three hours over her. And then, you know, then the manifestations, these like, you know, strange phenomena would stop. And then they would think, oh, the person must be better now. And then 30 minutes later, it would just happen again. And so these girls were scared. And they didn't know what they were doing. So they called me in and said, Brother Christian, I wasn't a pastor then. Can you help us? The Lord showed us a vision where they... Where the Lord told me to bring you in. And so at that time, I had a little bit of training in exorcism ministry. You know, which, which, you know, exorcism sounds so scary, right? Because of the movie. So we just call it healing and deliverance. H&D, healing and deliverance. All right, that's what it is, though. So I go in there, and I, and I try to help her. I try to help her. And, you know, she got better. Like, the, 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 the demons left because she had involved herself with occultism. Like, she had gone to psychic, uh, gotten tarot card readings and such in Gangnam and stuff. And so, I said, oh, we got, we got to get you, conf- you got to confess those sins because the Bible forbids any kind of psychic readings, tarot cards, witchcraft, divination, anything. You got, you got to renounce that because that's opened up a doorway for demons to come and, and invade and oppress your life. And so, she did that. And you can see... Like, she started doing these coughing things, and you could tell, like, demons were leaving her. But it wasn't done. Like, she had some unforgiveness toward her best friend, all this jealousy toward her best friend. So we, had, we, we led her to forgive her best friend, and then more demons left. And you could tell she was a lot better. I didn't get any sleep that night. <laughs> I didn't get any sleep. And then the next day, we go to church. And after the church service, uh, one of our prayer team members, she says, can you pray for me? Because last night, 
um, not, not last night, uh, this morning on my way to church, I had this overwhelming urge to throw myself onto the subway tracks and kill myself. I'm not suicidal, but I don't know why I had this overwhelming urge, and it really scared me. I started to cry. Can you guys pray for me? Right? And back then, there were, uh, there were no covers for the subway tracks. That's more recent. And, uh, and so we said, all right, well, we'll pray for you. Don't worry. You know, we'll pray for you. And so our prayer team gets around her, and the moment we lay hands on her, boom, she starts falling to the ground. And just all out, like, what you see in that movie, it's like all out. She was crazy. It was nuts. It scared me a little bit, too. But, you know, because of the previous night, you know, God had kind of initiated me a little bit more. And plus, actually, when I was a child, I saw, yeah, I saw a, a, a few other deliverances as a child. So, actually, God had prepared my life for this whole moment. <laughs> and so, you know, prayer teams trying different things. And, you know, get out in the name of Jesus. Get out. Get out. Jesus, 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 Jesus name. You know. And people who don't know nothing about deliverance ministry, they think the name of Jesus is like abracadabra. It's like a magical <laughs> phrase you say and the demons leave. And, you know, but then when you do it, you realize, man, them demons, you know, they don't play around. You know, they don't, they don't just, oh, Jesus. He said, Jesus, I'm out. <laughs> you know, like literally these evil spirits started mocking the prayer team. Oh, he said, Jesus. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, scary Jesus. Like, you know, like in Lion King, Mufasa. Oh, oh. Like, they were literally mocking us. And so it was, it was kind of like demoralizing, actually. And so I, I, and because I had done the deliverance the previous night, I just stepped in and I tried to help. And that, that deliverance was like far worse. It was like 20 times worse than the night before. And we hit a wall. We couldn't even we couldn't even finish it. And we did it like for six hours. We couldn't really help her. There was, there was no progress. <laughs> it, just, it was screaming like at top of her lungs. Like it was just nuts. Anyway, after <laughs> after that Thanksgiving weekend, uh, because I had the heart of compassion to want to heal and help the second girl get healed fully, I did some follow up work and started reading about healing deliverance ministry. Started reading training about it, started emailing people that were more seasoned in it, and they started giving me all this advice, and I started learning, oh, that's how you do healing dims. Oh, the things I did back there was a mistake. Oh, those techniques, oh, those, those are not biblical. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, and then about three weeks later, I asked her to fast for a week. She fasted, we fasted. Three weeks later, we had a separate session for her, and then she was able to open up about all this trauma she had went through as a child and all of this uh, abuse that she had even partaken in. And as she confessed her sins and as she forgave certain people, the demons started to leave. And she started to get better. And you can see in her face that there was a bondage that were clearly broken off of her life. And she was able to get healthy. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because this is how I got initiated into healing deliverance ministry. And let me tell you, it wasn't fun. Because after that Thanksgiving weekend, somehow people from all over the world somehow found out that I'm doing healing deliverance ministry. Start emailing like, can I come by your church? I heard you're doing healing. Can you help me out? Can you help out my cousin? My cousin's got all these weird, you know, uh, demonic possession phenomena that's happening every night, you know. And so I had to help all these different people. And the different people at church started coming up to me and saying, you know, what is this healing deliverance ministry? I think I need it. You know, all this stuff. And then when I traveled to New York for a CCC conference, I did a little mini seminar on, like, deliverance and telling people, like, stay away from psychics. 
you know, stay away from certain sins because that was a, that's a guaranteed doorway for demonic powers to oppress your life. After I shared that, like all of New York KC, all the, all the students lined up. They're like, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. Can I, can, and I remember I, I sat down with one gen- gentleman inside of a hotel room. And uh, he, he looked scary. <laughs> I was looking at his face and he looked a little scary that night. And then he started confessing to me like all these things about um, like homosexual sins that he hadn't, he hadn't told anyone about. And then I, I, w- I remember in the, I got a little scared. So I was, I'm not going to no, nobody's room no more. And so I started doing it in the hallway, but there were like still lines of students waiting to get healing deliverance. And so I helped out this one young man. He was a, he was a chakan, chakan, you know, he looked like a nice young kid, but he confessed to having raped a, a sister at, at a, in his youth group when he was a teenager. And he was, he had this rage issue ever since that happened and he could not control his anger. And he, so it started with him talking about, I can't control my anger. And then the more deeper the Holy Spirit probed, he started confessing these sins that he could not forgive himself for. So I remember I remember praying with him, and I was scared. I thought he was going to punch me in my face or something like that. Because he started shaking. His elbows started shaking. I thought he was going to punch me. <laughs> Holy Spirit, ho- hold down his arms. <laughs> Pr- protect your servant. <laughs> you, feel like, you feel like they're leaving? Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel like they're leaving. Out! Get them all out! Anyway, I mean, they all got a lot better. Um, but after about six months of this, different people started hearing about it. And then different people started accusing me of all kinds of false things. All kinds of things that weren't even true about the healing deliverance ministry. And I realized, man, what is, what's, what, what's up with this? If you got the anointing on your life, by the way, you're going to do healing and deliverance ministry. You know why? Because Jesus did healing and deliverance ministry. A lot of times when he, when he cast out demons, he also said, be healed. You know, because sometimes demonic bondage is in your life because of a wound you went through and you couldn't properly deal with it. And so those demonic powers, they use that wound to create bondage in your life. When the anointing comes, he sends you forth in the spirit of Isaiah 61. To heal the brokenhearted and to release from prison the captives. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what you and I should do today as the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be carrying that same ministry on. But most people are not willing to walk in the anointing. They might be willing to play with the anointing, receive the anointing, get touched by the anointing. Ooh, gold dust. Oh, uh, tickly. You know, feelings, oh, I feel so loved. You know, like that's, the, that's great. That's the, that's the initial experiences you have with the touch of God's power and his anointing. Like you feel God's love for the first time. And you would be like, oh, what is that? Oh, I love it. I love it. I feel like God loves me. I feel like he's just wrapping his arms around me. It's incredible. I've never experienced this before. And that's like the anointing. That's the anointing's effect. The anointing will come. Anointing, you know, anointing is just literally oil. It's a smeared one. The anointed one. Christos means smeared one. The anointed one. The anointing just comes and the Holy Spirit just smears you with this joy. And just giggle. <laughs> Sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will, will tickle people. And, and some people get offended by this. It's called holy laughter, right? We don't see it too much at New Philly, but we do see it sometimes. 
Not all the time, but sometimes. And it always happens to the quiet people. So you'd be like, oh, that person must be very extrovert. No, that person has not talked the whole year. All of a sudden, they're laughing. <laughs> and that's, that's because joy, joy is supposed to be the strength of God's people. Joy, is, joy brings healing. It brings joy. It feels good. Who doesn't want joy in their life? But some people get offended by that. They're like, well, that must be the devil. Why is he laughing in the middle of the service? There's nothing funny going on. Why is he laughing? And people get offended. But that's, those are some of the effects of the anointing. You understand? So not only was the healing deliverance ministry, but we started posting videos online of our mission trips. So when we go on these mission trips, we go to very poor areas like India, Philippines. And whether I preached or Pastor Marcus preached or Myungwa preached or Aaron preached, any of our preachers preached because the anointing was on the entire ministry. Whenever we go out and do a mission trip, People would just get healed. Like, they get healed. And sometimes we think when a person gets healed, you know, you think if I get healed, I'm going to be like, yeah, I got healed, right? But a lot of times people are like, I got healed. Thank you. And they just walk back to their seats. And you're like, did they really get healed? Right? But that was, that was happening all the time. And not only that, on video, they would capture our pastors praying for people. And sometimes we touch them. Sometimes we just go like this. And people will just fall on the ground. Sometimes very graciously. Oh. <laughs> and other people. Ah! <laughs> crying or laughing. And then they fall on the ground. Sometimes they will shake. I mean, they will shake. And some people will be like, Is that, are, they, are they having a seizure? Are they okay? <laughs> right? Because on the outside looks very similar. But then I try to explain it. Well, you know, you don't, you don't see electricity, but you believe in it, don't you? And people are like, yeah, of course. Well, because it, you may not see electricity, but if you put your finger into the socket and you make a complete circuit, you are going to feel that power. You're going to feel the electricity whether you see it or not. You go outside on the 10th floor of a building and you might be like, I don't believe in gravity. And you jump. Oh, you want to be a believer in a second. <laughs> Right, there's a lot of things we don't see, but we believe because we see the effects of it, right? Well, it's, well, it's the same thing with the power of the Holy Spirit. The anointing, you may not see the anointing, but you see the effects of it all the time. And when you come in contact sometimes with a, a, with a manifestation of God's anointing power in a, in a high degree, it's like putting your hand in a wall socket. You're going to shake. And some people, they just shake it on the ground. And you don't know what's going on. But afterwards, you interview them, and they say things like, I, I had depression for the last 15 years. And, and I feel like tonight God just healed me of my depression. I feel like I've been living my life in black and white. And tonight I got HD color TV. <laughs> it's like the most common line people who are depressed say. I hear it all the time. That's why I say that line. But people just get set free. And, and you realize, man, if we just judged it and dismissed it right away, just because how offensive it is in the natural we could have missed out on the awesome inner healing that God's doing in that person's life. But that's what so many Christians do, especially in the Western-influenced, academia-dominated world of Christianity. They say things like, well, God did that in the New Testament 2,000 years ago, but God, uh, he got tired of doing that. 
So he don't do that no more. We got the Bible, and the Bible is all we need. Yes, the Bible is all we need, but the, if you really read what, if you really read the Bible, the Bible is also talking about supernatural power. And the Bible nowhere says it will stop when the scriptures are compiled. There's nowhere in there. That's just poor exegesis. There's not a single Bible verse that will tell you that. You can twist a couple Bible verses to try to say that. But it's actually talking about the end times and not the canonization of the Bible. There's a stigma with the anointing. And the, and the, and the reason I'm sharing with that y'all, with y'all tonight is the more you come out to Emmaus, the less these staff will be able to hide what Emmaus is really about. <laughs> Emmaus is not just about having these meetings and, and discipleship groups during the middle of the week. Emmaus is about getting all of Jesus. And when you get all of Jesus, you get all of the freaky stuff too. You get all of the offensive stuff too, which involves some of that supernatural power. Don't be like the Pharisees. Accusing Jesus of being full of the devil, doing miracles by the power of the devil. Jesus was like, man, that's stupid. That's stupid logic, y'all. Come over here. Let me tell you something about them Pharisees. What's stupid? No house divided against itself will stand. That don't even make no sense. Why would the prince of demons be full of demons and go drive out demons? That's stupid. (laughs) And then, you know, one of our presidents used that to try to unite the uh, country at one point. Anyway. The anointing has a stigma. The anointing has a stigma. I'll tell you something else that has a stigma. The cross has a stigma. Have you ever been persecuted or insulted for the gospel? Any of you? You ever step out and boldly preach the gospel and just get persecuted? I remember a few years ago, I went to E101, and we are leadership training. And all the leaders at that time were required to step out on the street and evangelize for like two hours. The people they don't know. And, and most people are scared. They're like, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't know if I want to be a leader anymore. <laughs> Stop being a baby. Come on. Let me show you how it's done. And so, you know, I, I, took, I took my person with me. And as I was crossing the street, I saw this nice old white woman. And I was like, oh, I should reach out to her. She looked real nice, right? I went up to her, and I was like, hi, how are you? She's like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, "Um, can I ask you an interesting question? She's like, well, it depends. It's like, do you have a spiritual background? She's like, are you a Christian? I was like, "Uh, wow, yeah, really good. Yeah, I am. She's like, you're so arrogant. I didn't even tell her anything. I just asked her for a spiritual background. She's like, you're so arrogant. And she just walked across the street, and I tried to walk with her, and I was like, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, that's, not, that's, that's not supposed to happen, but look, don't worry. Don't be scared. And, and, the, and the new leader was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> And I try to, I try to pull out Matthew chapter five. 
You know, hey, the Bible says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is the reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted prophets who were before you. Let's pray right now and rejoice. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, have you ever been persecuted? Have you ever been insulted for the cause of Christ? Why would people take such a good message of salvation, atonement, forgiveness, new beginning, grace, God's power, goodness available? Like why would someone take that message and insult you for it? Don't you ever think about that? Why, why are you so against what I have? This message will save your life. Don't you see how much I love you, roommate, <laughs> classmate? Well, it says in our original passage today why so many people persecute us. 1 Corinthians 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. Everybody say foolishness. The message of the cross is folly. It is foolishness. It is stupid to those who are perishing. See, the apostle Paul was saying that the message of the cross is complete foolishness. It's just complete lunacy to those who are perishing. To those who do not know about Jesus, who do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, the cross is just utter nonsense. Especially to the person who is educated with a master's degree, a doctorate degree, second doctorate degree, honorary doctorate degree. (laughs) Whatever degree you have, whatever education you got, the more intellect is the more offensive to them. The cross is offensive. The cross has a stigma with it. And so as a follower of Jesus, you got to preach the cross. You have to share the gospel, which involves preaching the cross. In other words, you have to preach a message that almost always will appear as foolishness to your audience. That's tough. That's why so many Christians don't share their faith. Because they've tried at some point and realize not everybody wants the gospel. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many take it. Narrow the path that leads to life. Few find it. Even Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. Many people hear the gospel. But only those who God has appointed unto salvation actually respond to that message. Only a few are chosen. But it's still up to us to go out there and find those chosen. We have to go out there and keep preaching. We have to keep sharing until we see those people whose hearts are quickened, whose eyes start to twinkle, and they say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to put my faith in Jesus. No matter how high of an IQ that a person has, the unaided human intellect will not be able to comprehend the wisdom of the cross, the beauty of the cross. No matter how many times a person hears the gospel, unless the spirit of God quickens their heart, mind, and will, they will never bow their knee to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is an offense. To a lost and perishing world. It says in 20, verse 22 here. Jews demand miraculous signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. And foolishness to Gentiles. 
You see, to the Jews, the cross was a stumbling block. You see, we think the Jews were like calling on the name of Jesus in, in, by the multitudes. And in the very beginning, that was what happened. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. A few weeks later, more thousands of people get saved. But then persecution breaks out and all the Jewish Christians get scattered. But the benefit of that was wherever they went, they preached the gospel as well. But after that initial wave of converts, it was very hard for the Jews to come to Christ. In fact, the Jews were the number one persecutor of Christians in the New Testament. They're the ones who wanted to kill the Apostle Paul. They're the ones who, who, who I don't know if they stoned them. Anyway, they whipped him or they did a lot of bad things to Apostle Paul. They were the number one persecutors. That's because the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. You see, they expected a political Messiah to come that would be triumphant over their Roman oppressors. They did not expect a crucified king. This is why when Jesus said to uh, his disciples right before he was crucified, he said, in a few days, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again on the third day. And Peter took him aside and rebuked Jesus. Peter rebuked the Son of God. And Peter was like, what are you doing, Jesus? This is bad PR. What are you doing? There's all these people following you. You can't keep saying stuff like, stuff like this. The Messiah is supposed to take the throne of David. What are you talking about? The gold of the cross. What is this? And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Also, according to the law in Deuteronomy 21, anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed. So the Jews didn't want anything to do with anyone who was cursed on a tree. You see, also the cross was foolishness to the Greeks. This is because the Greeks and Romans believed that no reputable person could be crucified. Crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of all criminals. It was actually illegal to crucify a Roman citizen, no matter what his crime. And no examples existed in Greek or Roman mythology of a crucified God. So why would God ever submit himself to such humiliation and suffering? It was just unthinkable that the God of the universe would die a criminal's death in order to be the savior of the world. Now, do you think God knew about these responses from the Jews and from the, from the Gentiles? Did, do you think God knew that they would respond this way? Perhaps people think that God didn't know. And after sending his son to the cross, God had an unfortunate marketing problem on his hands. Oh, man, this, this is supposed to be the, the good news for the whole world. But, man, I, I, maybe I shouldn't have chose the cross. This is a little too offensive. The message is not really getting out because of this. You think God had an unfortunate, you think it was an accident that this happened this way? Nah, 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 brothers and sisters. You see, it was the very design of God to put the saving message in the most offensive package possible. Now, why would God do this? Isn't his goal to try to save as many people as possible in the world? Well, if God wants to save as many people as possible, wouldn't God want a message that's not so offensive? 
Why did God do this? Why? And you see the answer is here. Look in verse 19 and 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Why did God package his good news in such an offensive package? You see, God did it because it pleased his heart to do it this way. If you read the rest of this verse, um, look at um, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to what? To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Bingo! Why did God package the good news in such an offensive package? So that no man can boast before him. So that no man can say before him, Aha, it's from all my academic studies and diligence that I was able to discover The wisdom of God. No one will be able to say that before him. In fact, it will be flipped upside down. The first will be last. The last will be first. The very things that the world found offensive, they're going to later find out that that was the wisdom of God. The cross was actually the wisdom of God. The anointing was actually the power of God. What does this mean practically for our Christianity? What does this mean? What am I trying to say here tonight? All right. How long have I gone? When did I start? What time did I start? 8.40? So I went for one hour already? I went for one hour, y'all. Y'all didn't think I was going that long, did you? Because you were enjoying my message. Okay. Why am I saying all this? Why am I saying all this? The reason why you need to understand that following Jesus has a stigma is because if you don't understand the cost, when it hits you, it will knock you out. When you don't understand that there's a stigma to the anointing, when you hit the stigma, you're going to align yourself with the rest of the world rather than make a stand for Jesus. When you start preaching the cross and people start to persecute you, insult you, accuse you of all kinds of evil, that's not even true. God does not say on that day, you start up a blog and you explain to everybody that they're wrong and there's a misunderstanding. No, God says, consider yourself blessed. I've designed it this way. Rejoice and be glad. Prophets before you were treated like this. Even my very son was treated like this. 
You're just sharing in his sufferings in order that you may share in his glory. That's what the Bible says, that we may share in the sufferings of Christ, that we may also share in his glory. People who have never suffered for Christ, when they meet Jesus, they're not going to be able to really like glory in the glory of Christ. Because they'll be like, I made so many compromises, Jesus. When times got tough, I just compromised and I received your forgiveness. <laughs> Jesus would be like, yeah, you little knucklehead, you little punk. Never made a stand for me. You know? And I don't think Jesus would say that. But this would be silence. It would just be like divine silence. <laughs> Did you read the Bible? Did you listen to Pastor Christian's message that night? No, it's those who share in his sufferings, right? People like the Apostle Paul, Jesus is going to be like, come on, let's take a walk together. You know, like, like um, uh, Prophet Elijah, and he was persecuted by uh, Jezebel, you know, and, 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 and what happens in the New Testament? What? Is it Elijah? I guess Elijah? No, not Elijah. Mo- Moses. Uh, Moses. <laughs> I forget who's who's at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's like Moses and Elijah. Or is it Moses and Elijah? All right. Thank you. You know, Jesus didn't call on some punk that never made a stand for, for, for the Lord. You know, you get to share in his glory. You get to you get to be called a friend of God. You get to be intimate with 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 God or are those who actually share in his suffering, who, who make a stand. You know, for example, like if you were an army general, you know, and you wanted to honor your soldiers, who are you going to honor? You know, obviously, as a general, you led the campaign. It was your strategy that won the war, all that stuff. But when you want to honor your soldiers, you want to give a medal of honor. Who do you give it to? You give it to those who are willing to suffer, who, who are willing to be selfless for the cause. Not for, not for, you don't give a medal of honor for some punk that, that hid inside of the ditch the entire time and watched all his friends around him die and then got out of the ditch and said, I survived. We won the war. Ain't no honor for a person like that. There's a stigma to following Jesus. And, and, and for young people like you guys in college, you need to understand that early on. Even if that makes you push away Christianity, you need to just get that in your system today. Because, yes, Christianity is about the love. I feel so loved when I go to Emmaus. I have so much fun. There's so many cute guys. There's so many cute girls. I just love coming out. And those are all part. That's great. That's great parts of Christianity. But that's not the whole thing. If you think that's the whole thing, you're missing a big picture. And when times get tough, oh, you are going to not be ready. You know, right now in America, there's a government shutdown. You know that, right? And then they're going to hit the debt ceiling in a a week or two. Uh, And economists have been predicting that the U.S. dollar is going to burst any second now. You know, America is not as stable as people think. Now, I love... Amer- I'm an American citizen. I love America, land of the free, home of the brave. I love New Yorkers. I think there are some of the most courageous people in America that are New Yorkers. I've seen the way they live. A lot of strong blue-collar 
have strong moral values, even if they believe in God or not. You know, a lot of great people in America, but don't let America deceive you. They're not doing so well. If this government shutdown doesn't get resolved very well and the debt ceiling does not get handled very well and the U.S. dollar ends up deciding to plummet any second now, that's going to set off a course of events that can affect the entire world. And it could create a lot of chaos. You see right now in the Middle East what's happening? You know, Egypt, man, hasn't been able to get stable for the last three years. They were like, freedom, freedom, freedom. You know, and then they vote somebody in. And then they kick him out. Freedom, freedom, freedom. They, they haven't seen a single day of freedom ever since they, uh, they took out their president. You know, like, like all the turmoil that's going on in the world, that shaking that's going on. I believe that that's, that's actually the hand of God. The Bible talks about God shaking everything that can be shaken until those things that cannot be shaken remain. You know what are the things that should not be shaken? It's the people of God. They should not be shaken. Why? Because we have the word of God and we got the spirit of God. Nothing we go through should shake us. But, you know, you end up at a college campus in Korea. You know, I grew up a Christian. But, you know, I'm just surrounded by the mentors club. You know, mentors club. They, every night they call me up. Hey, mentors club. Oh, Kachi Nawa, Sarah. Lisa, Kachi. Oh, we mentors club. I don't know what they say, right? But all I know is they take you drinking. All right. They take you drinking until you are drunk. And uh, you're like, well, you know, it was tough. You know, I was all by myself. And, uh, and you get shaken by the mentors club. What is that? What kind of testimony are we building in the church today? Young people, they, they slip up. You know, it's, it's not even like a big spot. They just slip up. You know, I saw a pretty girl and I, I slipped up. You know, my friend told me to come to a club. I slipped up. I, I, you know, I'm really disappointed. Some full-time ministers I know, they visited Korea. And then they came because I do healing deliverance ministry, right? They came up to me because they thought they had demons inside of them. Because you know what the full-time minister friends did? Their cousin invited them out to a brothel and they went. What, what is that? How are you getting shaken up by an invitation from your non-believing cousin who doesn't know Christ? You get an invitation, go to a prostitute, and you go, and then you sleep with the prostitute? What is that? But that's like, that's like the story, that's the narrative of a lot of young people in Christianity these days. But that's not the narrative God wants to weave in your life. The narrative God wants to weave in your life is a, is a person who makes a stand for Jesus. And when they get persecuted, oh, I rejoice, Lord. This is a blessing. Thank you, Lord, that I get to share in the sufferings of Christ. I feel so much closer to Christ today because of the suffering, because that woman called me arrogant when I try to share with her the good news. You know, I feel closer to Jesus today because I moved in the power of the anointing during this mission trip. I put it on my Facebook wall and a whole bunch of people from Northern Virginia started slandering me and saying I'm unbiblical. I feel so much closer to Jesus tonight because I can feel the pain Jesus might have gone through when he was accused of all kinds of things for carrying the anointing. That's the narrative. And that's the faith, that kind of unshakable faith. And so even if the economy starts falling apart and there's all kinds of wars and rumors of wars. And hallelujah, we, we went through all kinds of rumors of wars here in Korea, haven't we? Right? North Korea, every, every year or every time the 
the, the military drills comes around, you know, they, they, just, they just, you know, they start blasting. War, war, war. And you start getting phone calls, you know. You know what Canadian Embassy did? Come on, Canadian Embassy, where you at? They called up some of our church members back during uh, the spring and said, please evacuate the country. If you don't evacuate the country, you're out, you're on your own. The Canadian, Canadian government will not be responsible for what happens to you. This is the recommended, recommended evacuation route. You know, and our Canadian church members were like, what should we do, Pastor Christian? I was like, man, what's up with the Canadian government? Why are they so, why are they so, why are they like that? <laughs> I love Canada, but come on. Don't worry about that. Just pray, all right? Just pray. And, and if I'm wrong, I'll see you in front with Jesus and I'll take full responsibility, okay? Just stay here. Don't worry. They're like, yes, Pastor Christian, we, we, we trust you. Yeah, we feel peace about it. I'm like, yeah, that's right, yeah. Rumors of war and even all our war we might see around us. We don't, we don't know. We don't know. We got it pretty good right now. We're at a time of peace. But we're not promised peace forever. Because with the end times, there will come some shaking. Now, it's not going to be like all-out tribulation and war all over the world. Like, you know, some of these end-time movies. Like, you know, I saw like 2012 the other day. And like all this like water rushing through the Himalayas. And, uh, and, and this Buddhist monk is up in the Tibet mountains. And all this water is rushing through. And people built this big old like high electronic ship. And, and it's like a modern-day Noah's Ark. And people are all go trying to get into the ship. But only the wealthy get a ticket onto the ship. And so the poor people are like, come on, open up, open up, open up. Something like that, right? It's a crazy story. All these apocalyptic movies, right? Trying to paint this picture of like the wars. The whole world is going to be in tribulation. But I, I, I don't think the Bible necessarily says that. I think there will be spots where there will be heavy tribulation. And, then we, and we as a church may have to go through seasons in different spots. But it's not going to be this unbearable thing that's going to last for like 50 years. It's just going to be intensifying in which God starts to separate the sheep from the goats. You know, in the end times, people who are really for Jesus, they're going to really shine. The glory of God's going to really shine through them. And the pretenders, the Judas Iscariots, those people who are just really in it for just the fellowship, but not really for Jesus, they're going to be exposed for what they really are about. And there's going to be this separation. The world may get darker, but the church will get more victorious and glorious until the, the Lord Jesus himself returns. And personally, this is not like complete, comp- this is not a unanimously believed doctrine. But personally, I believe the, the chess piece to look at is Israel. If you look at Israel, you can tell where we are in the end times. Because God has certain promises for Israel that some people think have been completely fulfilled in the church. But I personally believe that only some of those promises apply to the church. But there are very specific promises God's made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the nation of Israel, to David, his servant, whom he loves, that he will not abandon Because it says in Romans chapter 9 through 11, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. So the apostle Paul asks, well, has 
God has their faithlessness nullify God's faithfulness. Apostle says, no, there's a mystery about what God's doing. There's a hardening, a heart, a partial hardening that's come upon the Jews until the full number of the Gentiles come in. You see, in order for the gospel to go to, how many of you in here, you're a Jew? Anyone here, you have Jewish descent? Nobody, right? So everybody in this room for the gospel to go to you, the Jews were hardened. They rejected their Messiah. And because of that rejection, what did the Apostle Paul do? His heart was for his own people. He was like a Korean. He was like, I want to reach Koreans. I want to bring my Buddhist Korean friends to Christ. That was like his heart. But then those Korean Buddhist friends were beating him up, stoning him, trying to kill him. And so the Apostle Paul said, you know what? I'm going to the Gentiles from now on. And as he went to the Gentiles, what did he see? Thousands, tens of thousands of people just coming to Christ. Apostle Paul says, this is awesome. This is incredible. I don't understand. I don't understand. And he must have prayed to God over and over again until God gave him a revelation. There's a mystery to what I'm doing here. But the Apostle Paul himself said, there will come a time when this hardening is lifted and all Israel will be saved. Now, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that verse. I did my exegesis paper on it a couple of years ago. I personally think it means that in the future, we're going to see a huge revival among the Jews. And it's going to be because God lifts the hardening off their hearts and they begin to see their, the, 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 their Messiah, Jesus, who is, by the way, a Jewish man. Like, you know, have you ever thought of this? You know, you know that song, I could only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes, when I stand. Oh, I got the lyrics all wrong. Anyway, <laughs> that song is like, it's been number one on the iTunes Christian chart for like five, six years. And people, non-believers, Christians, it's like the amazing grace of our generation. Like everybody listens to that song. But have you, ever, have you ever wondered what Jesus will look like when you meet him? This is where, like, uh, IHOP really gets it really very practical. When you meet Jesus, he's not going to have Asian eyes. Hint, hint. When you meet Jesus, he's not going to have Asian eyes. I don't know. (laughs) Jesus is a Jew. He's a Jew. He's a Galilean Jew. It's not like... Like the, uh, all the uh, movies that white people have made about Jesus, where the guy looks very European and even, and even has green or bluish eyes. Now, Jesus was a Galilean Jew. That means he had uh, like, like curly hair, right? And so one time I, as a kid, I saw a movie that tried to be more accurate. So they had this big butch dude, and he had like this afro thing going. It was his curly hair, and his face was all rugged. And I was like, that's not Jesus. <laughs> Jesus has long, wavy hair. <laughs> and he looks beautiful, chiseled face. Not this burly kind of guy. But if you really study Galilean Jews, that's what Galilean Jews most likely had. Their hairstyle was very curly, right? And he was the son of a carpenter. He probably did a little bit of labor in his time. He probably had some muscle. 
How else did he survive the crucifixion? Like all the whipping and then, and then to survive the crucifixion the way he went about it. Like he had to have some muscle. Right? Here's the thing. When you meet Jesus, you're going to see a Jew. You're going to see a Jewish man before you. Isn't that crazy? And you get to touch him. Why? Because Jesus took on flesh. And after he died, he rose, he resurrected in the flesh. Not as a ghost. He said, touch me. Give me some fish to eat. Look at me and touch me. Ghost does not have flesh and blood. When you meet Jesus in the end time, he's going to be a Jewish man. Isn't that crazy? A Jewish man. And this Jewish man, he has a heart still for the Jewish people. And that's why the Jewish people, even though Nazi and Hitler tried to annihilate the Jews, he couldn't do it. Because God still has a plan that has not failed on behalf of his people. It's a promise he made to David. And in fact, when Jesus returns, he's supposed to sit on the throne of David. And I'm, 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 I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to deep waters. I'm, I'm, I'm drowning some of y'all right now. I'm sorry. I don't know why I went there, but all, all I'm just saying is follow Jesus with all your heart. Get your heart ready for whatever stigma, whatever offense may come from following him all the way. You know, get your heart ready. But my message to you is go all in. If you're going to follow Jesus, go all in. Cause there are going to be times of shaking we might face in the future. And when those times of shaking come, we want to we shine the glory of God. We want to be able to take a stand for his name. Amen? Amen. Now close your eyes.